Welcome, my friends. Today, I bring you part two of my interview with the amazing Dre. And in this part, he's done with his work, and we sit down to dive deeper into some of the topics that we only touched on briefly before. If you missed that episode, it was the previous one, number 562. Please listen to it. Both episodes can stand alone, but I think you'll get a better feel for Dre and his life in the first episode. And on this one, I will tell you, be ready to be surprised by a rich and wide-ranging conversation. Dre really floored me with his wisdom. I've known him for about, I want to say, two years now, and I knew he was smart with money, but I didn't know he was smart with life in general. And in this episode, you'll find out what I mean by that. Dre works in a barbershop, but listen closely, and you'll figure out that this is not just a regular barbershop. Dre doesn't work there to make money. He is there to make a difference. And I can tell you, the area around there where his barbershop is located, from what I've seen, is the toughest area in Oakland. I'm very familiar with it because the girl I mentor lives nearby. Life in that part of town takes place on the street. People are on the street, day and night, and it's not pretty. I don't like going there because, for me, it's pure misery, and I always feel so sad. But at the other hand, I also like going there because I do want to see what life is like for a lot of people. Dre doesn't have to work there. But he is there. You can tell he's so easy to talk to. He's hilarious and I laugh a lot in this interview. And I didn't cut that out because I want you to laugh as well, especially in this somewhat somber of a time that we're in right now. But most importantly, he inspires me. He not only turned his life around, he's constantly still trying to improve himself and He's trying to help others do the same. He shares so much wisdom in this interview. You can learn about street lingo and the benefits of cold showers. You can learn about life inside prison and how to control your thoughts. Street smart and life smart. Dre understands life, all aspects of life. He's successful and, most importantly, I think he's happy. Because he has aligned all areas of his life to match with his core values. And I think a lot of us are not there yet. I strongly encourage you to listen closely and maybe reflect on those areas of your life where you are not quite satisfied yet. And Dre offers some really helpful solutions. I know. For me, he left me deeply inspired to achieve greatness in my life. In all aspects. And I know not all areas in my life are as aligned as they could be. And I wish the same for you. Enjoy this part too, and also the last part of my interview. Of my last in-person interview. And please... Shared with someone else in your life who really needs to hear Dre's message. 
and I bet there is somebody out there. Take your time. Enjoy this interview. It's longer than my normal interviews, but these two episodes with Dre are my only episodes that I'm bringing you this week, so you have enough time to listen to it, and I'll be back next week. Much love. I really like this this part about your mentorship here in the, in the shop. This is not just a shop. This is, has importance for you. you know, mm-hmm. I like that. You want to make a difference. Absolutely. Why, though? Nobody did it for me. Everything, Nobody did. Like, I had to learn through trial and error. Yeah. So, as far as um, helping people, I wanted to, like, uh, take the guesswork out of it. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was younger, I didn't have nobody to tell me to, now you know if you do this, you do that. Later on down the line, you can get this. Or you, if you set things up right, you can live life like, like how you want to live life. You can do all the things that you want to do. And I just didn't have that. No one in my family, they like was dealing with their own situations or whatever, and they didn't really have anything that I aspired towards or wanted to be like anyone. Don't get me wrong, because this is about to sound kind of messed up. I really, I respected everybody in my family and I loved them, but as far as like the level in life that they was on, I didn't respect that. My grandfather, he he was real impactful for me because for one, he took me in when he didn't have to. So my grandparents raised me when I was, from the time I was seven months, all the way up until adulthood. And this story kind of deep though. So like my grandfather, he's not really my biological grandfather. And I didn't find that out until I was maybe like 19 or 20 years old. And I always thought he was like my real biological grandfather. And, but when I look back on like, all the gems and all the knowledge that he passed down to me, it was priceless. You can't put no dollar amount on that. So it really didn't matter to me that he was poor and he didn't have a certain way of life, but he had a standard and a code that he lived by. And I respected that. And anybody who came in contact with him, they respected that. So as far as with me, he instilled that in me and, if anyone come around me and be in the presence of me, you're going to feel, if not know, that I operate by a code. I have a standard that I live by. And it's not based on no monetary value. It's based on, like, just being a man. A, a lot of people, a lot of boys, I should say, or so-called men, especially in this area and maybe throughout the whole United States or the world, they don't have man training. They don't know how to really be a man because they come up in a broken home where they have a single parent and nine times out of ten that parent is a female. And no shade towards or no shot or disrespect towards no single parents because single women out here, they got to do the job of two. And I respect that wholeheartedly, but at the same time, can't no woman show no boy how to grow into a man. Mm. Only a man can do that, Mm. you know? So that's the problem, right? If there's yep. no man in the family, then wh- how do they learn? Right. 
they get it from in these urban areas from the streets yeah and it's kind of effed up but that's just how it is when a child get to a certain point where say they they, they body changing they, they having all these thoughts now based on they new body the, they new position that they feel they are holding now mm-hmm. based on the change of their body and and they start rebelling a little bit but when there's no father no man in the household and it's just that mom they tend to like try to run over the mom test the limits right but when there's a man in the household they only test so much so a case in point i can come home and my wife telling my son do this do that he might be playing a video game he gonna act like he don't hear but he don't know i'm home so i probably came in the house and he on the phone playing video games all simultaneously and my wife barking out an order for him and but she doing it politely tobias please take out the garbage or please do this or please do that and he just like look up like like whatever and still play his video game but then i come around the corner and be like man what your mama tell you to do and then he jump into position oh uh, hold on y'all and he get off the phone then he jump into doing what he's doing that's the difference. That's the power of masculinity brings into a household. Yeah. It, it brings order where traditionally it might not, not traditionally, but where the child might test that order. Yeah. Even though he know, like, this is my mom and I respect and love my mom, but I don't feel like doing what she want me to do. And that has happened multiple times. Mm-hmm. They don't know the daddy there, and then when they find out he's there, then they jump into doing the thing that the mom told them to do in the first place. So it's a lot of households that come up with a single parent, and they just don't have that structure. So they get it in the street, and that can be problematic. Yeah. Do you talk about stuff like that here in the barbershop, too? Yeah. I say, I, I can't put a percentage on it, but it's a lot of people who I come in contact with who hair I cut that come from a single-family home or a broken home. And they got I, questions like relationship questions or yeah, everybody do that. That's universal. It don't matter if you grew up in a um, a single family, single parent or uh, you got both your parents. Right. You know, so the main question I get as far as with relationships is because I've been married for 20 years now and we still here. And along the way, a lot of my friends and a lot of her friends have been married or in relationships and they not with their so-called significant other anymore and a lot of they have questions how you guys are surviving yeah and for anybody out there listening the biggest thing that i can say that first and foremost to make any relationship work is one you have to want it to work so how do you know that you want it to work well communication is key so you have to be willing to take yourself outside of yourself because we be in our own way Mm -hmm. and not just in relationships but in life period a lot of times we don't get things or that thing that we want in life because we be standing in our own way so same thing for your relationship so i had to learn to listen to my wife regardless of what she doing now it's so easy for me to say but she said this or she doing that And believe me, it was a lot of that in the beginning. But once I realized that basically she a mirror of me, and if I want something, then I need to give it first. So I I make sure that I listen, I hear my wife out, 
even if I'm totally at odds in at what she's talking about, I still <laughs> give her her respect and listen to her. Yeah. And then we talk about whatever the thing is and it don't matter. Now, it hasn't always been that. We evolved to that. So if there's anyone out there who wants to improve their relationship and you're at the beginning stages and y'all having these issues, it always start with one, you want it to work, and two, you exercise you want it to work by actually listening mm -hmm. to one another. Marriage is a compromise, or any relationship is a compromise. Right. It's what you're willing to put up with for the sake of that other person, and vice versa. I feel like, though, today people don't want it anymore because they're, it's too easy. There's so many options. There's Just right. get on your phone and you can find somebody. Right. It's so easy now. Right. A, a lot of things that's on social media, man, that, that is not real. But... It has the appearance like it could be, the what-if factor. And then people show their best sides on social media. So when you're on these dating sites, you got to know that they're showing their best that they have, and they're probably enhancing that. Mm -hmm. So when you meet them, you see all the flaws mm -hmm. if you're paying attention, if you can get past the superficial eye. It's just, it's just short-term. It's just attention. It's attention. You immediately can find some people with their pictures and it feels good. You know, you think immediately, oh, oh, you know, maybe there's a possibility for me out there. Right. Even though it's not real, like you said. It's right. Not, you get but to, that don't mean that it can't be real. It's just hard. It is. It's very difficult because everybody on here, I mean, let's face it, everybody on here, they're looking for that one thing. <laughs> for me, I just wanted to be right. I wanted to be there for, for my kids. So my wife, she is not ugly. She is not fat. She is not like, but... I, I, systemically, like, if you're just looking at my wife, any man would be attracted to my wife. She is beautiful, and I'm not just saying that. Right. So my wife come in here, everything changes. Her perfume takes over the whole shop. The shop's not that big, so you can see how it can consume this little shop. But then all eyes turn and look at my wife. And I'll be saying, man, don't be looking at my wife's booty. And then she would be like, stop. No, she. And then they'd be like, no, no, we ain't looking. Yes, you is. But I'd just be clowning. But at the same time, I know what they, what they mean. They're looking at her. She's a woman. A piece of meat just walked in the shop. And that's how they're looking at her. They're carnivores. So. <laughs> But, but you're also making her feel good. Yeah, that makes her feel good, yeah. too. Yeah. But you, you got to want it. And yeah. I want it. So I brought up that whole scenario of, like, she's not ugly or whatnot. Not to, like, be tooting my horn on how lucky I am to have her because I am. But at the same time, to say that um, if I was constantly messing up or whatever or the situation didn't work and I got kids with her, she would be on to the next man. And then the next man, he is imposing his morals, his values, his ethnics onto my children. Mm -hmm. And who's to say that I'm in agreement with whatever that is for him? Mm -hmm. I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to have, I want to pass down my morals, my ethnics, mm -hmm. my ideology down to my children, and they pass it down to theirs. And it all comes from me as opposed to a stepdad. So right. I didn't want that, you know, even though it worked out for me, because like I said, my grandfather was not my biological grandfather. I don't know if I even alluded to that. You did. Right. So, but he did. But he still, he was a role model for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it can work, mm -hmm. but still, I want that coming from me, not from someone else. Right. So I, I had uh, 
a strong motivating factor outside of me loving my wife as much, much mm. as I do. Dre, tell me about the book. I want to know about your book that is here. <laughs> is it for sale here? Is that why it's here? Yeah, but I, you know what? Um, I usually give it away <laughs> lately. I don't know. Um, the sales really stale or slowed down. Yeah. But I didn't write the book to, to become wealthy. You know, as far as wealth go, I feel like I'm already wealthy. I have my, my wife, my kids. That's true wealth. You know, I have my own business. But basically, what, so I named the book 100K. And it really wasn't named that at first. At first, the name was How to Earn $100,000 or More in Two Years or Less. Excuse me, the editor, I hired a professional editor. Mm -hmm. She said, I think the title is too long. She said, we live in a world where people are... They, they, they only, if it's more than 10 seconds, they don't want to watch the video. Mm -hmm. And this is during the time of Vines. I think a video was like six seconds or whatever. And so I start just asking people that come through my shop. And they be like, yeah, that is kind of long. So then I went against my better judgment. I should have kept the first title. And let that be a lesson to you guys out there. <laughs> Always go with your first mind. Mm -hmm. if, if you feel strongly enough about something, go with it. Forget what somebody Why? else say. You think it doesn't, the 100K is? It, it sends out like a, like, so if you see the title 100K, you're thinking like, so 100,000. Why not a million? Why not a billion? Or mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like I've made the, the, the threshold so low when it's so much more. Mm -hmm. Because really what the book is about, though, is like three different things that I'm giving three different examples of how you can make a hundred grand or more in the least amount of time with, you know, I don't want to say minimal effort because you're going to have to do some things that might be kind of difficult or seem difficult, but once you get off into it, it's not that hard. Uncomfortable, maybe. Right. Well, maybe uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right. And most people, based on that level of un uncomfortableness, <laughs> Will, they, they will allow that to deter them and they will stop. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I'm showing how if you just persevere and you fight through your uncomfortableness, you can reach the finish line. What, what made you write the book? I just wanted to help people win. Mm -hmm. And even though I come from a, a background of um, African descent, so I thought, but that's a whole other subject. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I see. I, w I just want to help people. It yeah. don't really matter what color you are, but coming from my background, like I said, um, African Americans and Hispanics traditionally in Oakland, it. I, people, you wanted to help your community. Yeah, they be feeding themselves self-defeating thoughts, yeah. and they feel like they can't do this and they can't do that. And I'm mm. showing you, hey, you can do it. I did it three times mm. or more and continuously doing this. So if I can do it, you can do it. Mm. Here's a guy who went to prison, fought state and federal case, mm -hmm. and turned all that around, and I'm doing positive things. And if I can do it, you can do it. What's your excuse for not doing it? Right. So that's basically what the book about. So I touch on um, starting a business, real estate. I tell you how to get your credit right in the simplest form. And then not only that, at, at the end of the book, I, I interview other successful people who look just like you, who might sound just like you, and 
you can relate to them mm-hmm. and they give their experiences and stuff and so on and so forth so i feel it's a good read everybody that read it i haven't heard nobody say nothing bad about it mike i don't know if they're just saying that no but, but mike keeps like really talking about, about your book, book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like oh, i need to give you the book you need to read the book oh I'm yeah like, okay. you can take a copy like i said i've been giving i've been giving them away i don't know i'll take mike's copy you'll take mike's copy yeah. you hear that mike she's coming for your copy <laughs> What about the uh, drug thing, the street thing? That was good enough for you? You need more in-depth commentary or what? Because it seemed like a lot of people would be fascinated by that. I am. I don't understand why, though, because it it was really nothing to me. Um, It's like when you see something every day, it becomes normal to you, even though it might not be socially normal, but to you it is. Does that life still sometimes come... Attract me? No. And do you still sometimes cross paths with that life? Maybe through people yeah, from constantly. the past? Yeah, because you're still down here yeah. in Oakland, in this area. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, just like, I just need they to go two blocks I'll down. I stay in the suburbs now, and I know some that, that, that stay in the suburbs. It's really? Still, yeah, just, pff, yeah, ain't no way to get away. People, you brushing, a person just not going to just come up to you and be like, hi, I'm the neighborhood drug dealer, and just tell you what he is. <laughs> it's people that you're in the supermarket with. It's people that you're sharing uh, gas pumps with or whatever. You know, you're pumping your gas at this pump. He's parked, like, behind you at the other pump, pumping his gas or what have you. This happened to you? Like, I'm asking if you, like, run into these people from the past sometimes. Yeah, they come in here and get their haircuts still. But are they still in the business? Or? Some people are, some not. Right. I don't um, really get into people's business like that, but they be having issues, and based on my level of experience of being in the game, the uh, game being like drug dealing, street life, what have you, they respect my opinion. Um, as one guy told me, I respect your words because you was down here in the trenches like all of us. Mm. I mean, and I was, I put my footprint down to where, and I haven't been, I haven't sold drugs since 1996. So evidently, what I did back those 20 plus 30 odd years or what have you has made an imprint, a lasting imprint to where my word really matters to people. And that's a blessing and a curse, but so, but I use it to like give feasible advice. I don't try to lead nobody down the wrong direction. Like I know like when I first made this transition, it was very difficult for me. and. That'd be the main thing they want to ask. Because a lot of people, they don't like selling drugs. They don't like doing that stuff. But they don't know how to get out. Right. So so think about this. Um, so I'm 49 years old now. So it's people when I was selling drugs. I started when I was 18. By the time I was 26, my drug dealing career was over. But there were people who are right now to this day still selling drugs that were selling drugs before I started. They probably started when they was 12, 13, or 15, or even 16. Mm. I started at 18, right? And throughout the years, they went to prison, came home, can't get a job. So they start back doing what they know how to do. Mm. They go right back to the neighborhood, and they put it down. Mm. Tupac got a, a line in one of his songs. I can't think of the song, but I remember the verse. And he say, if, if it don't work, then it's back to the block where they sell rocks. So that 
that used to be heavy on my mind too. Man, if this shit don't work, man, I'm back to the block. And what I meant by that, because I made it to a level in the game where I didn't have to stand on the, on the corner and, and curb serve. I, I was selling to people that were selling to the people that were selling on the corners. So I had made it to a level of the game where I didn't have to do none of that. But I want to ask you something. You go down here, this International Boulevard, mm -hmm. you see the people on drugs sitting on the corner. But everybody you see on the corner not, not on drugs. It's a high probability of it. It might be alcohol, though, but everyone's not on drugs. I know it might appear that way. Some people just have hard times. So that can be a, that's a big misconception, too. But there are a lot. I would say 90, I say 95% of the people down there is on drugs. Okay, so good. So I'm not completely off. Right. You're but, not did, off. but my question was, is that did that ever make you feel slightly guilty that you're contributing to that? At first, when I first started selling drugs, because I come from a background of, of being a Baptist. So I was a Christian. I was raised in the church. And I was, like I said earlier, I was totally against selling drugs. But um, my situ family situation flipped on me and it made me indulge mm. in selling. So when I first started, yeah, I would see, like, you know, you know what, though, to be honest with you, crackheads wasn't looking like they look now back then. So they'll look like you. Not not the not saying you look bad or you look like a crackhead, but it's like like a normal person. Yes, yeah, so they wasn't. It hadn't consumed their life yet. Maybe a year or two into it, then it started to take them. Jay Z has a has a lyrics, and I'm, I'm a big hip hop fan. So he he has a um some lyrics in one of his songs. Again, I don't know the song, but he say back when crack was what these pills are, and what he was saying was back in the day. When crack was what ecstasy pills is now. Well, not now, but at the time when he wrote the song. So basically, back then, it was like uh, not a rich, it was like a poor man's high, but the female still looked good. The, the, the man still, he still so can drive it, his car. Was it because of the, 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 the composition of the drugs? Has, it has changed or? No, it was so new and fresh on the scene. Most people, they was snorting or they was ether basing. Ether basing was like what Richard Pryor used to do when he burnt himself up. So then they found a way that was too dangerous. He basically got a little blowtorch smoking like cocaine with ether. Oh, yeah. So now they flipped it and started making it with baking soda and formed crack, right? So it became cheaper and easier to get to mm. so people would start smoking it but the problem was the high would be so intense and it don't last so long so if you gotta say a hundred dollars you go buy you a 20 rock soon as that's gone five minutes later i need some more so you're about to go get it because you want to get that five high. minutes i don't know i'm just putting a, a number on it based a, a time on it based on like to so when i was selling rocks right i was like a therapist i'm out there with all these drug addicts and i'm like well why are you smoking coke Why are you doing? I'm asking all these questions, and they won't tell us. Huh, I'll give you a little five piece if you tell me why you do it. Okay, give me the dope for it. I give it to them, and they will really tell me. So I would be out there um, really getting all this information from crackheads on why they do drugs. Why Why did you want to know? I don't know. It had nothing else to do. It was like my entertainment, I guess. But I treated everybody with respect. That's one thing about me. 
Um, and this is another gym my grandfather passed on to me as well. He said, son, the same people that you pass on your way going up is the same people you're going to pass on your way coming down. So you better get it right the first time when you're on your way up. And what he meant by that was you treat everybody with respect. That way you don't have nothing to worry about. You ain't got nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. So in good times or bad times, fair weather or bad weather, and I always live my life like that. So I treat everybody with the utmost respect until I see that it's not being reciprocated. Then that's a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> so. Did you ever use? Never. Even right now to this day, I don't. I have a problem with drinking. My, I do not like to drink. My wife always trying to get me to take a drink. So, <laughs> So she like, at our wedding, when we renew our vows, you drinking. I said, no, I ain't. She said, yes, you are. We got all this liquor. You're drinking. You're going to do the toast. So I take a little sip, but never smoked weed, never smoked cocaine, never snorted, none of that. All that's going on around me, but not me. So people didn't like being high around me. They say I bring them down because I'm too. <laughs> They're like, you judging me. No, I'm not. I ain't judging you. Yes, you are. I see you looking at me. And, man, I am not tripping off you. That You just worried about what I'm thinking because you know what you're doing is not right. It makes people feel better if you do the same thing as right. them. Right. Exactly. Because they already feel guilty right. as it are. And they feel more guilty now <laughs> right. with somebody who is disciplined. Right. So I stayed away from all that i mm. never used though I, but to, to me the thing was getting the money you can't get the money if you're spending it you can get it and then spend it and then you're back broke so you're smart right so I, money 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 that's that's what ruled me back then so. mm. still no nah, that don't ruin me now <laughs> <laughs> ain't, look ain't nothing wrong with having money um and being in a position where you can take care of not only yourself but your family mm -hmm. and be like a I don't know. I don't know. It just feel good to be able to take care of my family. The the one thing that I'm the most proud of, it ain't that I wrote a book. I always wanted to write a book. And by the way, I'm working on like your second book, right? You mentioned working it. on three at the same time. <laughs> okay. Right. That's crazy. Um, so it ain't that I wrote a book. Or I'm even working on other books. The thing that brings me the most pleasure and I'm the most proud of is that I got my family out of the ghetto, out of the hood, and we actually live in a good neighborhood, solid schools, and it's just a nice, clean, friendly environment. Mm -hmm. No gunshots, no people walking up and down the street yelling into their phones, no people burning rubber, no loud music. Everyone's, hey, how you doing? And <laughs> I was walking my dog last night. It's like 11.30 at night. Neighbor bringing his trash out. How you doing, Andre? I mean, Dre. And then we talked for like 30, 40 minutes. Wow. Just outside. In Oakland, that don't happen. You walk right past your neighbor. Don't even say two words Wait, to you him. don't live in Oakland? No, I don't live in Oakland. Where the heck do you live? <laughs> you from As they would say, I live you... out the ways. <laughs> You turned your back on Oakland? No, I didn't turn my back on Oakland. If I turned my back on Oakland, I wouldn't be... You wouldn't be down here. Yeah. Right, and I wouldn't be offering all this solid advice. I mean, you come here is more than a haircut. You come in here, sure, I watch rap videos, but then you're going to come off in here 
and that's not what's always on there. You're going to see podcasts. We're going to be talking about financial matters. I'm going to have things on there talking about. What was the about, one that was on when I came in? Oh, it was a um, Impact. podcast, Impact Theory by Tom Bilyeu. Man, solid interview. <laughs> like, podcast. He's, like, real. I used to try to, when I was doing my podcast, try to pattern after him, but I just couldn't do it. You just got to have that gift. He has it. And it's very, the people we have on there, they're very inspirational. They motivate me. They stimulate your mind. Um yeah, it's just a real good show. You can learn something all the time. Like taking a cold shower. You ever took a cold shower? Every morning. Every morning. Now, why would you take one? Discomfort. Why you want to be discomfort? Actually, it makes me feel good. It, I, it makes me feel alive. Right. For like two minutes, I stand under cold water. Now, how did you know about that? What made you do that? Actually, my grandma used to do it. Really? Yeah. So, I found out about that from Tom Bilyeu. So maybe like about a... See, I'm ahead a, of the curve. Right, you're ahead of the curve. So about a year ago, I was listening to his podcast. I remember I'm driving, I'm coming to work, and he was talking about the power of taking a cold shower. I was like, man, you crazy. I ain't taking no cold shower. I pay all this PG&E, man. I'm going to have me some hot water in this shower, right? So <laughs> I never tried it. But now it's in, it's in my brain to see you've been playing it, right? Um, I don't know how much longer, but then I start seeing on YouTube this guy named Wim Hof or oh, Hof Wim. Wim Hof. Right. His he's, breathing. Right. He's from where Poland, I think it is. His mm -hmm. wife committed suicide back in 95. Ooh. So he had to take over as sole provider for his kids. And then he went through so many things. He was in a depressed state. He had to figure out some things in order to make his life right. Because let's face it, how you going to make your kid's life right if your life not right? Yeah. So he had to figure something out, and he figured it out. And he figured it out through breathing mm -hmm. and also by jumping in a freezing cold lake. Mm -hmm. See, I don't even want to get into it. It's almost sounds stupid because I don't know the name of this actual um, system that's in our body that it communicates with your brain at the base of your... Nervous um, system. Right. So it, your brain tells it, mm -hmm. and it tells your nervous system. Mm -hmm. Oh, you he cut yourself. It. So you can control yourself yeah. based on yeah. the level of discomfort that you practice. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you practice this discomfort is taking cold showers or just jump in a lake if you live in Wisconsin that's freezing cold. That's what I would do, <laughs> actually. It, I would. And, I've or, contemplated jumping in the bay. Right. I just live a little bit, you know, I'm uh -huh. going to be like driving there no more. Oh, you'll be super dirty coming out of the bay, though. I, know. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I don't really recommend that. Keep taking cold showers. So when are you going to take your first cold shower? I've already been doing it. So, oh, you have yeah, the longest I can do it for it all. Like, so what he recommends is you take a shower like you normally would. That's what I do. And then, like, try for the last minute or two. He yes. said, you're not going to be able to do it the first three or four days, right? He said, work your way, do 10 seconds, then 20, then 30, and incrementally work your way up to two minutes. Okay. So I'm up to 30 seconds. That's as far as I... I've been but, doing it for like three weeks, though. But I've been like... Ugh. My wife running the back. What's wrong? I thought you failed. No, I'm in here taking a... What the hell? She talk about me like... And then leave all the shit. Got me tripping, running off in here. Because like, you're standing screaming I'm standing in the and then all breathe. Right. Breathe really hard. But how... Here's my question. How do you feel afterwards? I sleep good. 
Oh, you do I it at night? To, I do it at night and sometimes in the morning too. I do it in the morning. So at night, and when I do it in the morning, I notice like when I'm on my commute, I'm not falling asleep. It's like when I don't do it, because I am stay up late. Mm. So I'm going to lay, but my wife, she isn't. She's mm. probably asleep right now. And um, I would do it at night and... I would sleep like a baby. Wow. And I also do this other little thing. See, people, I'm going I'm to I'm pass this on to, I'm real big on self-talk. I've been aware for about the last year or so on the thoughts that I feed myself, the things that I think about on, like, on a habitual level. That dictates like your future. We have examples of that every day. Of our life in small incremental ways, so, so sort of like you wanted to interview me. So you thought about this, and then you verbalized it by asking me, reaching out to me, mm -hmm. right? And here we are now. Mm -hmm. Same thing for anything you want in life, but it all comes down to how you talk to yourself about it, so, which is how you think about it, and then that leads to an emotion, right? That emotion is how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. Now, the way you feel about it, you're going to emotionalize it, and then you're going to act on that emotion. A simple um, way to uh, see that this is true is love. If you ever been around someone and you was like, wow, he just does it for me or she just does it for me, but they don't know it yet. That's in your mind. That's the story you're telling yourself. You know, How can I make this person mine? And then you're going to find a way to act it out and make it a reality, no matter how long it takes. Based on the feeling that that thought gave you that comes from the way that this person is around you. You know, it's, for some people it can be visual, the way mm -hmm. he or she looks or mm -hmm. what have you. So what I've been doing is to get to an extra edge, to get a little bit more in tune, more in depth. It's a way that we can train our subconscious mind. So, so this gets kind of deep. The first seven years of life, we are being trained by our parents and our environment. We <laughs> carry these, these so-called, like, personal truths internally all our lives, right? Based on the first seven years of life. And this is being shaped by our parents, our family members, people we come in contact with, teachers, our friends, our environment is, plays a big part. And then it gets cemented in stone. And then now it's like that becomes our core. Mm -hmm. So when you get old enough and you have the ability to like think about stuff and then someone come around for example you might be a muslim and then i'm a, a christian and then i come and try to convert you to being a christian this is not gonna work unless i shake you at your core level and it takes some dramatic some very ultra extreme for that to happen because mm. Muslims believe what they believe and Christians believe what they believe. And that's in their core. Because maybe he was raised in, in, uh, as a Muslim for the first seven years of his life. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to shake that up. But if there's something in your life that you want to change, but habitually you just, no matter what, I, I can't seem to do, stop. Do you have an example from your life? Is there something that you're working on? Right. So what, this is what I'm working on, right? I just seen so many levels of, of success that the average person has not seen, right? But I know that there is so much more for me to conquer, so many more levels for me to get to. It's like I'm not going to jump from the bottom of the staircase to the top, but I can take it one step at a time. Yeah. Now, one of these steps is by me tapping into that theta base 
in my brain, right? To reprogram my mind on a subconscious level. How do you do but, that? So how you do that is right before I go to sleep, right? It's multiple ways of doing it, but the best way to do it is say you take this recording device and you record yourself, right? Saying all these things. First of all, I am is the one of the most powerful words or phrases that you can use as directed towards self, right? So when you say, I am this, I am great, I am powerful, I am wealthy, I am healthy, I am this, I am that. Affirmations. I am exactly, but affirmations is nothing without works, right? Like faith is nothing without works. So, but it all starts somewhere. But when you say in words like I am and whatever you put after that and you record yourself saying that and then you go to sleep, right? And you put in some headsets, and you listen, and mm. you fall asleep to it, and it just constantly on repeat. You got that from a podcast. I, sure, I got it from a video actually on YouTube. Mm. And then I read about it. Mm. And then I went, it's this guy named Dr. Shad Hamstetter. He has a website, and he has scientific proof. First, I bought the book, actually. I bought the book, and I was like, Bush. <laughs> the book was by um, Dr. Lipton. Bruce Lipton? Bruce Lipton, The Biology of Belief. Yep. And then he had one called The Honeymoon Effect. I got both of those books, and I read them. And so you didn't like it? I was like, bullshit. I believed it, but it went against my core values based on how I was raised my first seven years. Now I can realize that. So once I read the book, it opened my eyes. It's like I'm on YouTube, and I might be watching Tupac Jay-Z videos, Biggie Smalls, whatever. And then out of nowhere, a video come on talking about a self-talk. Where did this come from, right? So now I'm interested. I read the book, so let me see what this is about. It starts saying the same thing, but a different guy, Shad Helmstetter. He's not Bruce Lipton. So he's saying the same thing. Then I'm still going against it. I'm like, I don't believe this crap. So <laughs> time goes on. It keeps going on, right? Then another guy come up. Man, what's his name? I got his book too, but I haven't read it. Um, I can't think of his name. But anyway... He starts saying the same thing. He was in a horrific accident, and he was never supposed to be able to walk again. He's supposed to have his back surgery, and it was going to leave him partially paralyzed. And something told him, like, don't do it. We'll fix your mind, and you'll fix your body. So he started working on that, and now he is some type of neurological doctor or something, and mm -hmm. he wrote some books on it too but i bought the book like i said i didn't read it but I, I dove deep off into him too and he been on impact theory okay then he was so when i saw him on there i'm like wow maybe it's something to this so i started diving into it. i was like what do i got to lose i'll do everything else and i'm gonna be sleep so i started listening to these videos like it's one on you a whole slew of them on youtube that you can listen to and i just put it on put on my little airpods and i go to sleep and to have it. you noticed any changes yes i noticed this i dream different so the video that i'm be listening to is a, is dealing with health wealth and just financial stuff and relationship stuff and love and peace and family and how people view you and not really caring about how people view you but at the same time you do mm -hmm. i know that sounds kind of mm -hmm. crazy but yeah and i would listen to this and all this says to me is i am this and i am this you you know you are this you, yeah. people love you you love people and stuff like that and i start dreaming about stuff i never dreamed about my dreams used to be horrible 
Mm -hmm. I would dream. I had terrible nightmares. And I used to chalk it up to my past growing up right. in Oakland and different things I've done right. and different things I've been through. My wife would tell me, she would wake me up. What was you, you screaming? What did, I'd be having terrible nightmares. She would tell you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I stopped breathing in my sleep. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how you know? Was you, no, you snore so loud. And then all of a sudden you ain't snoring no more. It woke me up that you wasn't snoring. And I saw that you wasn't breathing. I put my finger over your nose and no breath. So I wake you up. And I'll be, <gasps> but I'll be having crazy nightmares. That's what you can call them. Now I dream prolific dreams. Wow. Beautiful things. You fancy cars. Better? I don't even aspire to have a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. I can go buy one, by the way, if I want it. But I don't even aspire to have I'm, I'm Tesla out. I love Tesla. So if yes. it got an engine, I don't want it. You're probably the only Tesla that's parked on all of International Park. International Boulevard. Right. I love my Tesla. Got my wife one, too. Wow. So we Tesla family. But so my dreams be like just amazing you sleep better sleep way better and then on top of the the cold showers and doing that what do i have to lose nothing mm -hmm. so i do this and then only then it came to i do it in here in the shop and people they be into it because they show imagery right obviously if i'm listening to it i'm not looking at a video when i go to sleep but the imagery i work out to it too mm -hmm. so i'll be watching it i brought the weights up in my room i'll run in place for 30 minutes i'll lift a little weights with the dumbbells and i had a video the video like five hours so it can last a good two hours while you're working out or whatever or however long you want to work out so the words that come up across the screen and the words is reading something totally different from what the video is saying so the video might be saying you are great but the words that say i am abundant so I take the words and I internalize it and I tell that to myself. Yeah. And it alters the way I actually think, the way, way I view people, and how I interact with people. And that's big when you're dealing in a business where it's service-based. Mm -hmm. So wow. it's been very helpful. So Any other routines, things that you do on a daily basis? Um, you got to fall in love with yourself. So... When I'm taking, like, I'm brushing my teeth, I got this big old mirror in my bathroom, and I just lean over and be, like, telling myself how beautiful I am. <laughs> how, how much, how great I am, and how much, how wonderful I am, how much my kids and wife love me. Did and you not that. believe that before? I don't think I did. Mm -hmm. I used to be, like, this... <sighs> I still fight off these thoughts, though. I, I would, like, try to tear people down. Mm. Um, I, I, I always had the ability, I can see something in somebody, mm -hmm. and I see your weakness, I'm going to exploit it before you can try to exploit mine. And it just was not good. It was bad. Now, I don't, I don't do that. I just listen to people. And then when they say something, I have a thought, like, this dude lying. And then I, I, I beat that thought back into the dirt or into the closet and lock it and give that person the benefit of the doubt because how can I want the benefit of the doubt from other people mm -hmm. if I'm not willing to give the benefit of the doubt to everybody I come with? And that's what everybody, drug addicts, um, people come off in here all the time. I know they on drugs. Can I have some money? No. I, you, you want some snacks? I got some chips, soda. I give them whatever. And I let them get whatever, and then it become habitual. They, I get to be known as the. Oh, you go there, he gonna give you. If you hungry, he gonna feed you. 
So they'll come. Yeah. And <laughs> but it, it ain't as bad as I make it sound. But right. yeah, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I, um, my whole thing is I'm trying to be treat people the way I want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that'd be kind of hard. <laughs> it's almost like you got a, it's like a little oasis here. <laughs> it's little for sure. I don't know about oasis, but well, it's I mean, cool. I've we, been here since for 16 years here. I mean, you're making a difference. You, it's just yeah. not just, it's just not just a barber shop, right? Even though it looks like one, <laughs> right? It's more, <laughs> right? And I, it, I think it's it's amazing. You're making a difference in your own way. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I think you're right because people, they go to prison, do they times people went to prison did two, three, four years. Got cut by me one time. Come back after they. You don't remember me, huh? I'm like, oh, yeah, there we go. Nuh-uh. Where I know you from? <laughs> hey, you Dre, right? Yeah, your name Dre. Uh, it depends why you ask it. <laughs> but they're like, no, it ain't nothing like that. No, you cut my hair about five years ago, and then you you was we was in here talking, and you just I just want you to know you really made a difference. Aww. And then I was like, well, where you been? I've been to prison. I'm like. I didn't make too much of a difference. You went to prison. It's like, nah, that one haircut wasn't going to change my destiny. But it's enough that you was on my mind when I was doing my time. And I just had to come back. That didn't happen at least three or four times. Wow. And, you know. That feels I, I, good. And I've been to prison. So when I was in prison, I was in the process of making my transformation. I had already made my transformation before I went to prison. But I still had a lot more to, to do to change myself. I think working on your on oneself is a lifelong commitment. Once you stop working on yourself, mm-hmm. then basically you're going all downhill from there. It's like oh, everything just. But you know, a lot of people itself. don't. They just every day is the same. Right. Exactly. Just normal humdrum to them. But when I was in prison, people I came in contact with, they one by one start getting paroled and getting out of prison. They come find me. Wow. And I didn't give them my address to up here, but they'll come find me. How you know I was up here? Such and such told me you was up here. And they'll come up here. I mean, I got out in 2004. It's people, I think the last person that came up here, he probably did like, he just got out like last year. Come up here. Dre, what's you, how you doing? You don't remember me? And I was like, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember. Man, that's cold. We did, we tore off a couple of calendars together. That means years. So, like, I did two years with him yeah. before I paroled, and he yeah. still stayed in prison. But when he paroled, he had enough. I made so much of an impression on him mm-hmm. in that environment to where when he got out, he wanted to come check up on Dre to see how I was doing. And I'll be appreciating that. That's good. That's like a testament of my imprint on people. What did you do specifically in prison? I was just being me. I didn't, for, for, all right, so... And California is real segregated, meaning like whatever race you are, that's what car you in. So car is like, that's your group. Really, they segregate you? Yes. So, so I'm 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 considered black, so I would be with black people. Yeah. I'm in the black car, right? But then within that that car, they have gangs. You have Bloods, you have Crips, you have Kumi, which is 415. You have BGF, which is Black Gorilla Family. You have Wrecking Crew. And all these are prison gangs, right? Except for maybe the ones that were started outside of a prison like Bloods and Bloods Crips. Bloods was out, Crips out here. Right. Yeah. So, um, so within that, right, it's pressure when you get into prison and you by yourself and you're a civilian. Civilian meaning I'm not affiliated with any gang. That 
they coming at you, especially if you known for having money on the streets. So I was in there for I got um, my case consisted of 15 kilos and a large sum of money and some guns. So on the streets, I was always known as the guy that had money. So when I hit the the prison, they that's what that. I was known for. <laughs> yeah, they so, knew about you. Yeah, everybody. I know a lot of people. So when I finally hit prison. They was, like, coming at me, but I kept my head tall. I didn't click up, meaning I didn't join no gang, no nothing, and I got a lot of respect for that, and not only that, I didn't tell. I took my time. I basically took the chin, I took the punch on the chin from Mike Tyson and stood tall through it all. Can't nobody say I told on nobody ever when I was selling drugs. Were you scared for to go to prison? Hell, yeah. I'd never been to prison before in my life. And here's the thing. I had... Totally changed my life by the time I had to go to prison. Right. By this time, I, I was a citizen for real. I um I, w- I hadn't sold drugs in like five years. I had owned my own business. I had bought my first piece of property legally, and I had got married and started a family. Yeah. So I had, and then I was paying taxes on all levels, local, states, and federal, and they um still came and got me came and got you and basically i had to go you know i did the crime i benefited off other people's misery for personal gain for eight years and i had to go lay down and be uh, held accountable for my actions mm. and like my grandfather said you make your bed hard you gotta lie in it so i had to go say that again if you make your bed hard you're gonna lie in yeah it. so i i made my bed pay your dues way. so i had to go exactly pay my dues and but one thing about me you're not gonna punk me so i will fight you to the bitter end even if it means to the death that's my grandfather still this and when you talk to somebody especially a man you look him in his eye and you tell him exactly how you feel that way it's no ifs ands or buts left on the table he know where you stand and you know where he stand mm. so i always live my life like that no matter what if that means i'm gonna get punched in the face or beat up stumped out shot stabbed i'm gonna say it mm. i have to i'm not gonna feel right i can't be the person at home mm-hmm. thinking like damn i just got punched no i like that about you so i, can't, I like I, that about you because i'm also very direct and right And yeah. that's the one thing that most people, mm-hmm. the very thing that a person don't like about you is the very thing that the next person won't like about you. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like. One of our biggest um, arguments me and my wife have is she say, you so anal. You don't have to be like that. I say, yes, I do. Because if I be nice and say this, it's not going to have the same effect that it would, mm-hmm. saying it the way I say As it. long as I think you say it with respect. Right. Then, I had to work on that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do too. <laughs> Because it's easy to just blurt it out. Right. And don't care about how it comes across. Exactly. That's why. That's the hard what part. What I said earlier yeah. about I have to beat the um these old thoughts. I had to get a person the benefit of the doubt, and I beat that old demon back into the closet and lock it. Yeah. Because that old demon would just say whatever, no filter, and then the, it, it have good intentions, but to the other person. I basically violated them exactly. on an emotional level to where they internalize and what I say and these words cut like a hot butter knife through butter. Because they're not at the same level as you, so they can't right. absorb it the way you intended exactly. to. Exactly. You know, so, yeah. they have different background, different right. emotions, different experiences. So yeah. it always lands differently than your right. intent. It, it took me a minute to, to realize that um, I never believed that I was better than nobody 
although my words sometimes might appear that way but mm. that's not where my heart was and but I know that I'm operating on a totally different frequency than most people I'm not the average person and I used to always think I was average so when I was selling drugs and I had all this money I thought everybody that sold drugs they was having money like me too but they wasn't so even like the things that I do now or before up to this point of now in the present moment, I thought everybody was doing it too. It took people to sit me down and be like, look, man, everything you do, it seemed like, not everything, but for the most part to other people that's on the outside looking in, it's everything to them. Everything you do, it seemed like it flourishes. Everybody, now, I said, why do you think that? Okay, you get your barbershop. As soon as you open your door, you got 10 people waiting to get their hair cut. Man, ain't no barbershop like that. See, if I go to any other barbershop, they empty. It's a ghost town in mm -hmm. there. But I come to your shop, and your shop, like, twice as small. Really nothing to offer but a haircut and something on TV. And cookies. And, and cookies. <laughs> and every, and people are in here. Mm -hmm. And then, say, then you go off into doing real estate. And then you're doing good in that. Then you're selling your shirts. You come out with only, like, ten of them. Everybody, they sold in one day. Average people don't do that. And you ain't even, I don't even see you advertising none of this stuff. But you basically just told me how <laughs> you do it. Right. So, but my whole point is it took conversations like that yeah. for me to realize that, one, I'm not the average bird. I'm yeah. not the average person. So I start being more aware of that and I start monitoring how I interact with people so I don't come off in a negative way then mm. I want you to view me in a positive way that way you can take advantage of this game I'm trying to give you because mm. I'm not trying to hold back nothing I think one of the biggest lies I should say I used to say misconception but a misconception that can be um, defined maybe as like an accident almost and I don't think this was no accident I think it's a lie flat out that game is to be sold not told if you're in a position where you can help your brother or your sister, you give it to them. Right. And it will come back to you in one form or another. But, but your grandfather charge you that? Um, no. Actually, I had a friend told me that years mm. ago. And I was when he told it to me, I was like, hell no. Nah. And then the more on my path of bettering myself, I came to realize that that's the truth. But it's a, it's a catch with that, too. You cannot go around thinking like, oh, I'm just going to get this and get that with the expectation of getting something in return because that's not you giving from the heart. That's an investment. Mm -hmm. And there's parables in the Bible that speak on that. Like Jesus told a parable where he talked about how all the people in the temple was giving all these big grand gestures of wealth as an offering to God. And then the one lady came with a half of, I forget what it was called, but it was like basically less than a penny. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, um, those who have ears and eyes and see that I'm here to tell you that this woman gave from the heart and therefore what she gave is worth more than the weight of gold. And he didn't say it exactly like that, but you get my point. Mm -hmm. She gave from the heart and it was all she had. And she wasn't expecting nothing in return. Those be the true gifts. That be the true gift from heart. That's the true definition of giving. I try to take me expecting something in return from mm -hmm. me giving stuff out of the equation. I and just that's why help. good things happen to you, because you do good. I believe <laughs> I that. So, yeah. I do believe that. Right. I think it's the, uh, the self-talk. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I'm listening to these videos. What? I'm watching these. I'm reading these books. I'm doing all this Plenty other stuff. Plenty of examples. Right. How good you do. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> Any last words of wisdom? Mm, I say this, this is like a big problem. A lot of people feel as though their they life don't have no meaning or they're not really going nowhere. They're stuck in the same situation. So if you find yourself like basically in a a rut, like you just basically doing the same thing over and over, day in, day out, week after week, year after year, right? Mm -hmm. You're right. You are in a rut and your life has took on a new meaning that you're not jiving with. Mm -hmm. The way to get out of that is to, first of all, get real with yourself, figure out what it is that you really want and be intentional about making that a reality. And the way you do that is you have to write it down and that's called a plan. Mm -hmm. So you first you write down what you want and then you figure out how to get it. Visualize yourself having that thing and then work from the point of already having it back to the point of you not having it. And it's okay. You're not going to know how to get, I mean, every last detail of how to obtain this thing. But I'm telling you, along the way, it's going to change your life dramatically to where your whole routine will change, everything. Now, instead of you being consumed in darkness, you see a light at the end of the tunnel. And the more you, you work this plan, get to the light at the end of the tunnel to where you finally consumed in light, it's going to be like, how they say it's a beautiful struggle. It's going to be a struggle, but at the same time, it's going to be beauty in it, and it's going to be beautiful. And once you that thing becomes realized, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. It That's starts how, with a plan. starts with a plan. How did, like, for example, you didn't you had never been here before, right, to this shop? No. This this area, location? Yes. You've well, been I told you about down the street. So you was familiar with the area. Yes. But if you never was familiar with this area, how would you have got here? What do you mean? So how would you have got to my shop? I would have texted you the address. How would you have got here? You'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't know where that's at. Where that's at? And I send you the address and you'd be like. I have it. My, my phone told me phone. where to go. Right. Navigation, right? Yeah. So your plan is your navigation. Type in the coordinates by writing it down yeah, and then follow that and you can get to anywhere you want to be in life and that go for on all levels financial, personal, love, whatever. Yeah. So that's the best advice I can give anybody. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Trey. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's I awesome. wish you the best uh, success. Your podcast is dope, man. I don't know why it ain't taking off. We got to do something about making your podcast like number one out here. Any idea? <laughs> hey, hey, maybe we'll play my podcast over here on the I'm TV. Bad. Barbershop.